Welcome to Fat Guy, Jack Guy. I'm Steph Rubino. And I'm Brennan Walsh. There's a very important anniversary coming up, and we have a whole month of content planned to talk about it with y'all, and we're starting that today. But first, we have a little message for you. Please become a patron of Fat Guy, Jack Guy by going to patreon.com backslash fatguyjackguy. For as little as $3 a month, you become part of the Fat Guy, Jack Guy extended universe. <laughs> uh, we'll give you merch. Stickers are on their way to all of our patrons mm-hmm. right now, and we got better stuff coming right up. Join us. Enjoy the show. Fat Guy. Brother, this feels wild to say, but this month, March 20th to be exact, is the 20th anniversary of the start of the American war in Iraq. What a beautiful anniversary it is, folks. (laughs) Can you believe that? No. It's been 20 years. It's truly remarkable. 20 years, and you know what? Uh, You know, things turned out okay. (laughs) It all went uphill (laughs) from there, actually. I believe the mission was accomplished shortly after. <laughs> well, actually, he did say the mission was accomplished like two months yeah, later. He was really quick with he it. He was quick. He was quick. 20 years ago, we were little 15-year-old babies who looked around at everything going on and said, this is fucked. And we've been trying for 20 years to fix it. Maybe 20 years doesn't seem like a long time when you think about the history of the world. But I know that the last 20 years have certainly run us a little ragged and aged us in ways we won't see the consequences of for a little while longer. I mean, 20 years for us is a big, pretty big portion of our it's lives. It's our whole part of our lives. <laughs> it's a lot of it. But also it's like not a lot of it because the other half is, fif- the other part is 15. <laughs> We're doing a little math for you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like not that much. It's a lot of life, it's man. Anyway, I feel old as fuck. Don't you feel old as fuck? Yeah, it's really crazy. When you can start thinking about things in terms of 20 years, yes, that's when it's like fucked. Yeah. Like, oh, I've been friends with that person for 23 years. Yes, like, it's all, it also just feels fucked that we've been talking about this for 20 years. You're talking about the Iraq War? <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about yeah. the Iraq, the American it's War in Iraq. Pretty crazy. All right. Shortly before this time, 20 years ago, all I wanted to do, and I'm sure that you can relate to this, brother, was pass my classes, hang out with my friends, read read books, listen to music, and kiss girls. Yeah. That's it. All that sounds good. Sure, th- this time this month, actually. Yeah. <laughs> then, like so many other young people who had to watch it because their parents were watching it, or because they were old enough to be interested in it, I watched one of the most repulsive humans alive, and... Still alive. He's still alive, everybody. George W. Bush <laughs> sit in the Oval Office two days after St. Patrick's Day on March 19th, 2003, and tell all of us that we were going to war with Iraq because of the supposed threat of weapons of mass destruction. You remember this? Did yeah. you watch this? I don't know if I watched it live, but uh, yeah, of course I remember this. A pretty pivotal moment. And you're just like, guess what? Tomorrow, oh. <laughs> Gotcha. Tomorrow we're going to war. That's what he said. Yeah. The five-minute speech, yes, it was only five minutes long. I checked. 
Okay. So it just aired for five minutes, and then it went off, and then we were supposed to just, like, go and live our lives. Watch your football or whatever. It started like this, and this is a direct quote from George W. Bush. My fellow citizens, at this hour, American and coalition forces are in the early stages of military operations to disarm Iraq, to free its people, and to defend the world from grave danger on my orders. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, we were always worried about the threat of Iraqis. (laughs) They were always coming for us. Defend the world from grave danger. What the danger was, really, he didn't say. We don't have time to get into a full explanation of the history of Iraq here, but according to the Bush administration, Saddam Hussein was not only the biggest threat to our national security, but also to the security of every single country in the world. The following day, Operation Iraqi Freedom began with the U.S., the same place where people are killed or arrested by authorities simply for looking a certain way, the same place where you can't get a leg up unless you already have a leg up, same place where an actually rigged election made George W. Bush president in the first place, once again taking the position of chief reformer whose responsibility it is to show these good-for-nothing tyrants a thing or two about democracy and what it means to live in a free world. Wow. It's almost like you're calling George W. Bush (laughs) a piece of shit. (laughs) Kind of a hypocrite. You literally sound like how the media treated the subject of this episode (laughs) right now. It is really funny to think about. (laughs) Of course the hypocrisy becomes more obvious the further you step away from it. Because in this time period, to have an anti-war stance wasn't really even based on facts as much as it was based on like, hey, we know war is bad and like this one doesn't seem right. But it wasn't like so obvious as it is now. Yes, but even when people dug up the facts, which we'll get into in a minute, even when people dug up the facts and had them to prove, people were still like, you're crazy for being against this war. Yeah, it's like, well, ultimately, at the end of the day, Saddam Hussein... Was, was a, bad a bad guy. guy. And we had to get him. Yes. We and had to K-word him. Sure. You know, a bad guy like the president guess, of the United like States. like the president of the United States. Exactly. Yeah. Like the entire Congress. Anyway, not only did Bush's claims turn out to be absolute bullshit, as we know, but it also launched us into yet another endless cycle of death and destruction that still, to this day, and regardless of what the government says, has not been successful in any way. And I'm giving all of this because... This month, we're embarking on a project where we examine all of the media from this time period, especially from this, like, early time period when the war just began, all the stuff that people were putting out into the world about it. Yeah, it's really strange to think about when, in the 90s, we were growing up, this is, like, what kids now would look at the Vietnam War as, right? Like, there was a lot of media about it. You knew that this was wrong, But what we have is this proliferation of, like, so much more media than they had then. Absolutely. And so much less of a unified civil response to this, right? Totally. It was mostly a lot of yay, rah, rah, and then some people (laughs) being like, well, I don't know about this. Right. It was not a movement. It was actually a lot of hoorah. Yes. Which was featured in a lot of these films. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Listen. They might not be doing what's right, but our boys are brave, okay? Our our boys can go hoorah! Our boys are brave as hell. And then get get in there. I did say it wasn't successful in any single way, but maybe it was successful in one single way. 
It made a lot of scumbags, including the Bush family themselves and Bush's vice president, Dick Cheney, a lot richer. I mean, a lot richer. These fucks. And I'm not just talking about the CEOs of defense companies and people who work high up in defense contracting. I'm talking about the people who invested in these companies, too. The stockholders, the finance guys. Not too long before the American war in Iraq started, many defense companies made their stocks public. Hmm. Which means people who got on that bandwagon got richer as well. And I'm not even scratching the surface of all the oil companies and oil drilling contractors who also made a shit ton of money as a result of the war. We're not really going to get into all that, but maybe we will later. Just this episode is about something specific. But on March 20th, 2003, we didn't know all of that yet. Many have just felt, just knew really, that something was amiss with Operation Iraqi Freedom and the war on terror as a whole. And many of us also didn't feel that way. For those of you who were around during that period, you can probably remember some of the most pacifistic people in your lives suddenly becoming so down with the war because of the events of September 11th and the propagandizing of the Bush administration and the media. You can probably remember people who were just fine with this. You could probably remember them saying, well, if it's what we have to do, then we have to do it. You may be one of those people. And though that fills me with rage, I get it. (laughs) I really do. (laughs) We were a lost-ass country. We were always a lost-ass country, but somehow George W. Bush's election and 9-11 made us even more lost. And people wanted answers. They wanted revenge, and they wanted to feel like everything bad that was happening was all for something. Yeah. There was a sort of moral obligation that people felt to murder Saddam Hussein. Yeah. a and person they hadn't, Osama bin Laden, they hadn't like thought they, about you know, him in a while, yeah. but, you know, they decided this is something we have to do now. All of a sudden. Okay, we how is Iraq connected? Him, but you know what? Yeah, they're brown guys? Okay. Yeah. yeah. They should both die. There, there was almost a comical idea that George W. Bush at any moment to justify something would just have to point to, like, a picture of the Twin Towers on yes, fire. Yes. And... That, that was like would a, be enough. That was kind of an early meme thing. Just like 9-11. Just like this yeah. idea, like, just 9-11. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. George Bush would say something and be like, 9-11, and that would be and it. And like, everybody would be oh, like, okay. okay. Like, yeah. it almost was like that, because I remember having conversations with people like, you know, my grandfather and my father, and their ultimate thing would be like, well, what are we going to do about, right. you know, totally. the terrorism, weapons of mass destruction? It's like, okay, like, yeah. That's, yeah. That I was it. Know. And you were like, and we were supposed to be like, all right. <laughs> no, nah, you're right. You got Thanks, me, dude. Dad. <laughs> all right. That was the, that was the question. Yeah. And like, if, even if you were like, oh, show me the proof, they were like, well, they're looking for them. That's why they're there. Yeah, you know, we're on and a search like, mission. What the fuck are we talking they about? They hired here? a private investigator. It's going to walk around Baghdad. Isn't he? You ever seen these uh, weapons of mass destruction? What are you guys talking about? Now, on the other hand, some of us, like you and I, and our friends at the time, just wanted to feel less crazy about the world we were living in. We didn't understand the purpose of state-sanctioned violence, and we didn't want to be part of a system that created it, especially when that creation was so enormous that it threatened the lives of millions of people in an instant. We felt powerless against it, but we also felt like maybe if we kept yelling about it, it might stop one day. When you're taught about the resistance of the past, you're not exactly given a headcount, so we were very optimistic about the power of resistance. 
We didn't realize that you need a lot of people to resist in order to accomplish anything substantial. And sometimes, even then, you might not accomplish anything. People overall, as we were just talking about, were not very resistant. Yes, there were sustained protest movements against the American wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, but most people, like many of the adults in our lives, as we were just talking about, were fairly resigned to the fact that this was just a fact of living in the modern world. Countries disagreed with each other, threatened to destabilize whole regions of the world, and then they went to war with one another in order to solve this disagreement. And the American wars in Iraq and Afghanistan were just another iteration of this to them. Yeah, that's what it was. It was almost like, oh, you kids, you know, you just don't understand. Yeah, you don't get it. And I mean, okay, like, yeah. I guess we didn't understand a lot of things, but the, the, the moral clarity yeah, of being right. a young person, <laughs> like, gave us that. Remember when George W. Bush, after the protests, like, you and I both participated in protests when we yeah. were, like, 15 or whatever, he was like, I defend your right to protest, but I yeah. disagree. Yeah. And it's like, that's, that's like, all that an adult had to say like, to be like, fuck, you. fuck off, man. Like, that's it. You're done. Like, okay, you did your thing. Yeah, do you, you feel better thing. now? Yeah, do you feel good? Yeah. All right, we're going to go. It's just like, there wasn't enough of us. There was never enough of us. No. And there were no, certainly no adults, like, that were really involved Right. Here. That's the thing. It was a young people's yeah. movement, which is similar to what we've seen in the last few years, actually. Mm-hmm. You might be wondering why and how... This is the preamble for an episode on the 2004 Michael Moore documentary, Fahrenheit 9-11. Fahrenheit 9-11, along with the rest of the content we'll produce this month, as we were talking about before, is a documentary about the beginning of the American war in Iraq. Actually, it was the first documentary that many of us who were teenagers at the time saw on the American war in Iraq because Fahrenheit 9-11 was a Miramax production that was highly distributed to movie theaters across the U.S. at the time. That makes it stand out to me for two reasons. The first is that I went to see it in a movie theater with my friends. Some of us could drive by the time of its release, so we piled into three cars and drove over to the Gateway Movie Theater in Fort Lauderdale the weekend it came out. Our radical politics were still just in the infant stages of development, so naturally, we were Michael Moore fans at the time. Michael Moore was cool, man. Michael Moore was cool back then. We had seen Roger and Me and The Big One and Bowling for Columbine. And we viewed him as a big guy, truly, one of my fat idols at the time, (laughs) and also just big in the sense that people were scared of him and the work he was doing. We saw him as a big guy in big media who was speaking truth to power, and we revered him for the work we thought he was trying to do. The second reason it stands out to me is is because of the critical reaction to the film from all sides. People had thoughts about it. Conservatives, liberals, and everyone in between had something to say, which is mostly what this episode is going to be about, actually. I think the reaction tells us more about us than the film does, because the reaction is connected more broadly to how we got to where we are now. But before we get into that, though, I got a question for you, and then I'm going to tell everybody a little bit about the film. Sure. So that we have a similar understanding. Did you see it when it came out? No, I don't think I did. Have you seen it at all? I don't think I've seen it, brother. Holy shit. Okay, I know. That's it's crazy. Wild. I yeah. remember my... I mean, that's not really necessary. I'll, tell, I'll talk about yeah. that later. But. I remember my friends watching it, and I remember feeling like I wasn't emotionally prepared. This is a common theme throughout my life. Yeah, you're like, I can't do this. I feel like so emotionally <laughs> overwhelmed by things that I know what they're about 
And I and I just like can't watch them specifically like documentaries. Yeah. I have to be so solid if I watch a documentary. Yeah, you got to be ready. I got to be so ready. <laughs> you got to be ready in your heart and in your core. Couldn't watch your Fahrenheit 9/11. Yeah, <laughs> specifically the bee hole. <laughs> I get it. It actually is pretty sad at parts. Rewatching it, I was like, oh, yeah, I don't like this. Yeah, I remember my friends. They a group of kids watched it, and there was like a mixture of like conservative whatever that meant in connecticut type kids and liberal kids and there was like a discussion about it yeah it's like i didn't want to be a part of that you were like Like, i can't do this like i know i'll go to your fucking protest i know how i feel man i'm not gonna be part of this conversation (laughs) i want to have a discussion (laughs) like yeah i don't have a discussion let's fucking do something about this those kids had to die because of the things (laughs) (laughs) like that's a conservative (laughs) that is no that's literally the conservative point of view that's our argument the kids had they had to die (laughs) because of the things (laughs) that's That's what conservatives sound like to me every day okay (laughs) grow up we have to pass this law because of the things (laughs) that's how conservatives (laughs) a little laughter a little laughter here folks so let me talk about the film itself this is part two one of the wildest things about Fahrenheit 9-11 is that is it is one of the highest grossing documentary films of all time. No way. Yes. That's amazing. The only one that surpasses it, and I just find this so funny for some reason, is Michael Jackson's This Is It. <laughs> as long as Michaels are at the top. <laughs> and, yeah, Michaels are at the top. Yeah, Michaels are nice, at the yeah. top. Even then, This Is It only surpasses it by $40 million, okay. which... You know, in industry context, doesn't seem like that much. Yeah. I know you love numbers, brother. So let me just tell you, it was made with a budget of $6 million and it made $222 million worldwide. Hey, there you go, Mikey Moore. That's a lot of fun. He never had to make a documentary again. No, he never did. I mean, and he only made one that was like kind of good after this. So he's made a lot. Yeah, he's made a lot since then. He keeps working. And he has a blog. He works. <laughs> he has a blog. <laughs> he has a blog. He works. It came out in 2004. And as I mentioned before, it got a wide theatrical release. So we were a little bit less, we were a little less than a year into the war when Michael Moore started filming this. He, like a lot of others, knew it was bullshit from the start. Despite its name, which is obviously a play on Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451. Fahrenheit 9-11 doesn't actually discuss 9-11 that much. There's some stuff in there on it, of course, but mostly the first half of the film focuses on the Bush family's financial connections to Osama bin Laden's family, the Saudi Arabian government, and the Taliban, which according to Moore's findings existed for decades prior to the war starting. Mm -hmm. Literal decades. Yeah. Obviously, in the first part of the film, he's building a case to show that the Bush family was financially benefiting from these wars and that they set it up so that their friends could financially benefit as well, which is something that we have come to accept now in our culture was like a thing that yeah. actually happened. Yep. So he was like the first person making this claim, basically, in a, in a mainstream context. The next part of the film takes aim at the media, which Moore accuses of being a pro- propagandizing force for the wars and for the Bush administration, which if you look back... They were. I'm using the word accuse here, though, not because I think he's wrong, but because that is how this part of the film is framed, like as an accusation. Like, I'm, he was trying to, like, call them out in this part of the film. 
In this part, he also examines the government's use of the supposed counter-terrorist tactics that the government adopted right after 9-11, such as the passing of the Patriot Act and the government's infiltration of anti-war activist groups. So he's kind of just like going through that information too. And he takes you through a little bit of a breakdown of the Patriot Act. It's like, it doesn't get as deep as it probably should because the Patriot Act is actually fucking terrifying. But, you, you know, know. He, gives you, he gives you some details. He's given us the mainstream. Yeah, what he needed for the documentary. Yeah. You know, obviously like, obviously this has a leftist tilt, but also it has the tilt of like whatever he's trying to get at. So mm-hmm. he didn't need to give a complete breakdown of the Patriot Act to, to accomplish what he was trying to do. Yeah. You know? Following that examination, more than explains what life was like for people in Iraq before the wars, and he asserts that the situation there as the war began is just going to get worse as the years go by, which also true. Very true. Remember, this was 2004, so he was just like pointing out anxieties that turned out to be true, essentially. He also talks to journalists who were sent to cover the beginning stages of the war, with some of them stating that they were told to uphold the best journalistic integrity possible by blatantly lying about what was happening there. (laughs) They, like, admit this, that they lied. The final part of the film kind of brings all this together to discuss the socioeconomic demographics of the people who enlist in the military and what it means for their families. He talks about how it is usually poor people who ended up serving and dying for the U.S.'s useless wars, quote-unquote, and unfortunately does assert that troops should only be used to actually defend the U.S. So he he's like a military guy. He believes that the military is necessary. Michael Moore? Yeah. yeah. And he says it in there. One cool thing he does in this part is accost senators and representatives going to work on Capitol Hill to ask them if they're sending their eligible kids to enlist in the military so they can go fight and die in these senseless wars. Good stuff. Which is pretty good. Anything with government people getting harassed, I'm in. Yeah, very compelling. Yeah, very compelling. The film basically ends on the note that the war in Iraq fucking sucks, but the people who are fighting it are like all perfect innocent creatures who deserve better. Not the greatest ending, but I, again, like I understand where this is coming from. He's kind of a classic liberal in the sense of like the military is still a necessary thing and the people who enlist in the military are honorable people. Yeah. Which... I mean, I, I can understand it from, It's like missing the, some analysis. Yeah, like, the, the working class <laughs> element, all? definitely. Yeah. Like, I but, can get that yeah. it's, like, it is poor people fighting it, but to yes. say that they are, like, but these But are they all honorable? Yeah. I no. just don't think that's true. No, and I mean, that's the thing about the United States military is that you don't have to be honorable to join. You just no, have to, you like... No, you just have to be a guy or, or a woman. <laughs> but join. you just have to be a person. Yeah, and you want to have, like, free college. Like, yeah, that's, that's it. That's what you need to want. Yeah, you don't have to pass a test of, like, am I a good person or not? No, there's no ethics no, test. No, they don't give a shit. <laughs> well, why would they? You could tell your boys back home <laughs> that you just want to kill some brown people and then go join the military and it will happen that day. Yeah. It's not a big deal. I just want to end this section by saying it's not exactly a good film to watch for the first time in 2003 and I mean 2023 and we'll talk about that later but I think the power of it in 20 in 2004 was huge at least for me I know it was kind of a thing that helped open the curtains and be like yeah the government lies all the fucking time mm-hmm. you know I kind of had that feeling and knew that you know like somewhere inside of me but it opened that door for me to be like wow what else are they fucking lying about not in a conspiracy theory way, but like in a very real yeah, way. Yeah, they're like, just What lying. else do yeah. I not know? Yeah. You know? 
So I think in 2004, it had a lot of power. It, right now in 2023, it, it doesn't. It kind of, it's hard to watch almost because mm-hmm. you're, you're seeing the, you're seeing the, what he's trying to do. And I, I still understand what he's trying to do, but it just doesn't hit where it should. So we'll talk about that more later, but that's just the gist of the film overall. Mm-hmm. Part three. And as I said, the bulk of this episode is about people's reactions to it, because I think that that's important. And we'll just talk about the relevance a little bit. Some people really love this film. Some people really fucking hated it. But mostly, actually, the reception was just lukewarm. That's so interesting because at the time, 2004, I mean, the cultural zeitgeist said that this war is good and that, Mm -hmm. oh, like, we're still searching for those WMDs. Like, they must have hidden them really well. (laughs) Like, that was the thing. They're so far into the ground, we can't even find them. You just open up the paper, like, didn't find the WMDs (laughs) yet, but can't wait when they do. That's going to be sick. wonder what they got down there. It was so accepted as a good in some way. Yes. Not sure we're what not way. Sure, we're not sure what, but it so was So for good. Michael Moore to do this made him a real wacko. Yeah. No, they did. Some media places portrayed him as a real wacko. Yeah. Like, look at this lunatic. Yes. But also people were just kind of like, uh, it was a good movie. Yeah. Huh, fun Which times. Which is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want this to be a jump scare for anyone, so I'm just going to say up front. That I'm going to have to mention Harvey Weinstein. Because <laughs> oh, yeah. this, this film was funded mostly by the Weinstein brothers. Yep. And Harvey was the one who was involved with the publicity of everything that they did. He was like the face of... When they had to comment on stuff, he was the person that commented. So let me just get into what he he's involved in here. Fahrenheit 9-11 first premiered at Cannes in 2004. And according to reports of the premiere and harvey weinstein himself it received a 20 minute standing ovation after 20 minute 20 minutes wow that's wild those people must have gotten tired i have to say though like who's surprised that like hollywood liberals Mm -hmm. were excited about this i'm sure they all patted themselves they fucking patted themselves on the back so hard (laughs) harvey actually went on to claim that it was the longest standing ovation he's ever seen in over 25 years wow which, maybe he's just saying that because he fucking funded the movie. Mm-hmm. But, I don't know. Obviously, Hollywood loves to pretend it hates presidents. And Khan is also representative of the international film community. So, I, I kind of think, like, Harvey's not far off. Yeah, I'm sure he they love it. He's probably correct. It actually went on to win the Palme d'Or, making it the second documentary film ever to win the Palme d'Or after Jacques Cousteau and Louise... My, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I'm going to butcher it. Yeah, it's all My right. Eyes, the Silent World in 1956. When it won, Fox News immediately jumped, <laughs> to, jumped up to claim that the film had only won that award because con awards come from French people. Oh, yeah. Which is just too fucking funny not I to mean, include in this. The French were our mortal enemies they at only, that point. They only... They only gave it to him because they're French. Yeah. And what's funny is that Moore actually expected this and had commented like days before, I fully expect the Fox News Channel and other right-wing media to portray this as an award from the French. (laughs) There was only one French citizen on the jury. Four out of the nine were American. This is not a French award. It was given by an international jury dominated by Americans. Wow. 
a French award. <laughs> I mean, just a slight diversion here, but the antipathy towards the French yeah. and French people was insane. in 2001 to fucking yeah. whatever was so strong that you Extremely could have arguments strong. with people about whether or not we should attack France. Yes, it's true. I remember having this conversation. And they wanted to rename French fries. Yes, that was, of course, a very legendary Freedom bullshit fries. thing, right? The whole thing was insane. And I remember a very progressive Don't stance. Don't eat baguettes! You'd be like, <laughs> be like, listen, I think the French people are okay. <laughs> I remember my grandfather saying that. was saying leftist that. at yeah. the time. <laughs> you were a hardcore <laughs> communist if you said French people are okay. <laughs> oh, you don't want to bomb you, France? <laughs> you might as well put on a fucking little hat and a striped shirt. <laughs> Just dress like them. <laughs> so ridiculous. It's funny too because the jury was actually was actually exactly how Michael Moore said. It was made up of four North Americans, one of whom was actually born in Haiti. There were four Europeans that one, and there's only one French guy out of the Europeans, and then uh, an Asian person. It doesn't say which Asian country they're from, though. <laughs> just I don't know Asia. why. Yeah, just Asia. <laughs> it's very strange. And of course, we're still waiting on a on a response from Fox News on this. <laughs> they never responded <laughs> to the fact that it's not a French yeah. award. <laughs> yeah. When it was released stateside in theaters. It received mostly positive reviews from film critics that we both respect. And it was, of course, panned by conservative publications like Fox News. And it got some weird responses, too. I'm just going to point out two that I thought were strange. Two critics, Shaley Murray of the Wall Street Journal and Stephen Dalton of The Times, which is a British publication, both said that the film was satirical. Hmm. Okay. Which it was. This is a very. This was a very confusing thing for me to read. I don't. This was not a satirical film. It is just a straight up documentary. D- well, He's sarcastic yeah. sometimes, but that is not. That is not satire. And if you're a critic, you should know what the fuck satire is. Yeah, I can just totally see someone being like, "Oh, well, Michael, Michael Moore has like a goofy sometimes personality yeah. and tone, and therefore that means it's a satire." Yeah, but it's not. It's not what that means at all. Yeah. No, it's not at all. And and my guess is when I was reading these pieces, my guess is that they just really like couldn't contend with the political content and like the realities that the film was pointing out so they just had to like diffuse it through interpreting it as satire mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying yeah because we are used to a type of satire especially in in the quote-unquote west we're used to a type of satire that isn't really biting it's just like fun yeah you know and so <laughs> To put it in that context makes it feel a little bit better, I think. It's just a goof. It's just a goof. So, you know. know. The whole war. The war is a goof. (laughs) A million people dead is a goof. Yeah, it's just just not a big deal. Andrew Sullivan also reviewed the film. Our old pal. And because he occupies such a weird space in our culture, I had to include him. Sure. And what I mean by he occupies such a weird space. He's conservative, for sure. Definitely. But he's also gay. Yes. And wants full gay assimilation. So he's really at odds with conservatism, in a sense, which, I, like I said, puts him in a weird spot. Yeah, some of these like old gay white conservatives like have a really yes. hard time with he's the He's very thing. strange. Yeah. And he's only gotten stranger since this moment. Mm-hmm. But this moment is very strange as well. Anyone familiar with his work, especially in regards to his Islamic phobic comments about the wars over the years and his recent work, will not be surprised to hear that he fucking hated the movie. It's a short review, and I really, really wanted to read the whole thing on this, but I'll spare you guys. I'll just give you the highlights. 
So I'm going to give you some some of my favorite passages. Sure. Okay? It starts like this. Sitting in the movie theater watching Michael Moore's Fahrenheit 9-11 amid an audience utterly riveted by a movie speaking to its deepest emotions, I kept getting a sense of deja vu. Where had I felt such crowd dynamics before? And then I remembered. What I was sensing was easily was eerily similar to the awestruck devotion I had noticed in another audience. This time, of fundamentalist Christians, <laughs> as it watched Mel Gibson's The Passion of the oh, Christ. Oh, yeah. Both movies were appealing to what might be called their cultural bases. They weren't designed to persuade. They were designed to rally the faithful, to use the power of imagery to evoke gut sentiment, and to rouse the already committed the already committed to various forms of hatred or adoration. Hmm. That's the first paragraph. That's how he starts it. Yeah, I mean, it is just like that, isn't it? Yeah, it's just it's the same fucking movie. Yeah. Actually, that's exactly what Michael Moore to is. Do. Jesus, I guess. Ma- Michael Moore is Mel Gibson or God. I'm confused. <laughs> Who is he? Wait. <laughs> he goes on to say, Gibson and Moore, two sides of the same coin. Absolutely. What? <laughs> yeah, that's this is literally what he wrote. <laughs> There are times when the far right and the far left are so close in methodology as to be indistinguishable. And this is what I love about these kind of conservatives like Andrew Sullivan is that they say shit like that all the time and they think it's right. And I'm like, you're dumb. Both movies, sorry, getting back to what Andrew Sullivan wrote. Both movies are not just terrible as movies, crude, boring, gratuitous. They are also deeply corrosive of the possibility of real debate and reason in our culture. They replace argument with feeling, reason persuasion with the rawest of group loyalties. I don't think that Passion of the Christ was trying to open a dialogue. <laughs> no, no, not at all. It wasn't trying to do that. I think he missed the point of that movie, which then gave us this weird critique of Fahrenheit 9-11. Yeah, the whole thing seems like he didn't get it because I think that what... Michael Moore is doing a Fahrenheit 9-11 remember. I didn't see this film. Yeah, based, but on based on what, what I, know, I just said. Right? Yes. Based on cultural knowledge, he kind of was asking for conservatives and, you know, the yes. flag wavers and fucking liberals who supported the to war, which together. was most of them, to be like, hey, can you explain what, like, you know, all of these financial ties to, right. like, these oil companies mean in relationship to the war? And can you explain why there's no weapons of mass... Like, there isn't it, like... This yes. is not... It was actually An unreasonable questioning question. things. Yes, yes. That's what it's for. The Passion for. of the Christ is not questioning anything. <laughs> it's simply saying Jesus died for our sins. Mm-hmm. Which, if you believe that, okay, cool. If you don't, that's fine too. Like, And also maybe just... be mad at Jews. Yeah, okay. I yeah. guess that's true. That was yeah. another That thing. was the argument. Yeah. Be mad at the Jews. I mean, Mel Gibson certainly yeah, felt he that. <laughs> he definitely did. <laughs> so, Sullivan continues... Moore argues that the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq were designed only to enrich the Bush family with oil money. For Moore, September 11th wasn't the cause of the war on terrorism. It was a pretext for corruption. He cannot prove this, which actually, I mean, kind of does. And so he tries to bludgeon the viewer emotionally to that conclusion. With what? Pictures of dead kids? He doesn't even do that. Mm-hmm. He just like keeps adding information. Yeah. Like It's just more and more information and interviews from people who know what they're talking about. And that's it. And actual doc... He like films actual documents for you to see. Yeah. You know? And I'm not even defending this one, which I'll get into in a second. I'm just saying that. <laughs> this is like crazy. Sullivan finishes it by saying this, which is just 
Chef's kiss right here. All right. It is a sign of how far the culture war has gone that almost no one condemns both movies. If you're a fundamentalist <laughs> red stater, Gibson is a hero. If you're a leftist blue stater, Moore is, in the words of the New York Times, a credit to the Republic. The truth is that both movies are different, but equally potent forms of cultural toxin. Poisonous to debate, to reason, and to civility. Wow, I mean, The Passion of the Christ is not a movie that is set in America. I just want to be very clear. I want to be very clear about this. <laughs> I mean, it obviously has a lot to do with America. Yeah, it's it Americanist. Was, it was made for fundamentalist Christians. All mm-hmm. true. Sure. I'm not arguing with that. I'm simply arguing with this insane conclusion. Yeah, the premise that they're both, like, culture war fuel. Yes, which they're not, I mean, technically. Maybe, I guess, maybe Passion of the Christ could be seen as that, but its impact, it just didn't have the impact no. to be, like, culture war fuel in the first place. No, it was it was a thing that people talked about. Yeah, maybe for, Maybe like we a should second. have an episode about it. Yeah, for, like, but, a like, second. But, like, it did not make people, like... No. What did they do? Did they storm the Capitol because they saw Passion of the Christ? Like, nothing happened. Trump did that. (laughs) You were representative of Pontius Pilate and they stormed the Capitol. (laughs) Yeah, they burned down all the banks because Jesus, you know. Exactly. That would have been cool. That would have been great, but they didn't do it. Nobody cared. I Like, we had to watch Passion of the Christ, I think, in school. Like, you know, I went to a Catholic school at the time. So we had to watch it as an assignment or something. Hmm. And... The only thing I take away from it was, damn, this is fucking gory. Yeah, right? Like, it's <laughs> fucked up. I didn't even see it. I was like, damn, there's a lot of blood in this movie. Which, like, I'm sure there was a lot of blood when they were crucifying people. I'm just mm-hmm. saying, like... Yeah, it's kind of graphic. I don't really... Yeah. I don't, we don't need it. It's just Jesus' worst day. <laughs> ever. Yeah. On this planet. Not a good day for Jesus. Jesus' worst day ever as a 33-year-old man on this planet. <laughs> I think, also, it's funny that Sullivan who is, like, one of the leaders of, like, culture war shit in the U.S. and abroad, mm-hmm. is making this claim yeah. back then. When it's about trans know? people, it's okay. Yeah, when it's about trans people, it's okay. When it's about trans people and also indoctrination and education, sure, it's okay. Don't forget. Another one, Christopher Hitchens. Oh, yeah. May he rest in piss. Oh. Is, <laughs> I'm, big, I'm a big Hitchens hater. Yeah. Is another person I was surprised to find chiming into the criticism about the film. I guess I shouldn't have been that surprised because he was a very vocal supporter of the wars. He fucking hated. And he was a raging Islamophobe. Islamic people. (laughs) While he was alive. But nonetheless, it surprised me that he even gave a shit that the film was made in the first place. Because also, if you know Christopher Hitchens' personality, he acted like he didn't care about anything. But I know that secretly he cared about Mm -hmm. most things. (laughs) Alas, he had much to say about it. In an op-ed titled... You're going to love this. Unfahrenheit 9-11. <laughs> That's a good one. Which doesn't even fucking make sense. Unfahrenheit. Unfahrenheit. I guess it's unfair. Yeah. yeah. But like, still. Yeah. Unfahrenheit doesn't make it any doesn't sense. It doesn't make any sense. What exactly. Celsius? Because he spelled it unfahrenheit. Yeah. He didn't spell it unfahrenheit. Uh, okay. No, he didn't do that. Okay. Well. I'm proud of him either way. I'm not. I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> he claimed that Moore's entire film is based on made-up lies that were created to puff up some liberal sense of moral superiority. Okay. And I can see what Hitchens is getting at in regards to the sense, the liberal sense of moral superiority. That is a real thing. But I don't think this film has anything to fucking do with it. 
In his piece, he says, to describe this film as dishonest and demagogic would almost be to promote those terms to the level of respectability. To describe this film as a piece of crap would be to run the risk of a discourse that would never again rise above the excremental. To describe it as an excuse in facile crowd-pleasing would be too obvious. Fahrenheit 9-11 is a sinister exercise in moral frivolity, crudely disguised as an exercise in seriousness. It is also a spectacle of abject political cowardice masking itself as a demonstration of dissenting bravery. Okay. Which, insane thing to say when there was literally no dissenting voices in the mainstream. Yeah, it was none. not a mainstream opinion at all. No, this was not a mainstream opinion. If this, if he was writing this now, I could say, sure. Mm-hmm. Like, if somebody came out with a movie about it now and they said what Michael Moore says now, <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, this is stupid, you know? Well, it's it's but wild like, because what Michael Moore was talking about then has become mainstream among yes, everybody. Everyone. Yeah, which is, like, crazy. Among people on the right... And all of the shades of left, yes. you have an understanding that, that the Iraq was war a good idea. was fucking fucked up. <laughs> yeah. There was no spin. Yeah, there was no spin. Not really. No. And that's the thing. That I is mean, crazy. Obviously, this. we're viewing this from hindsight, but even then, but I even mean, then, come on, it's man. pretty crazy. Especially for an intellectual like Christopher yeah, Hitchens. Yeah, an intellectual, yeah. quote unquote. Because he was atheist. Yeah, he was an intellectual. <laughs> That counted. It's funny how, like, all those guys turned out to be the biggest yeah. pieces of garbage possible. Yeah. Like, the biggest pieces of, like, Richard Dawkins is a transphobe. Like, it's, like, crazy. They're jerks. They're just jerks. Hitchens died before he get on the transgender Oh, he would have been so Because he would have been hardcore. He would have been the most transphobic person. On, uh, uh, he missed an opportunity. He would have gotten the... He missed an opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> then, shortly after this, Hitchens joined forces with former Democratic mayor of New York City, Ed Koch, not to be confused with the billionaire Koch brothers, obviously. I'm talking about Ed Koch. After he wrote a review about Fahrenheit 9-11 in the World Tribune that made similar claims to Hitchens, Koch's review said, I am a movie critic, so I went to see Fahrenheit 9-11. The movie is a well-done propaganda piece and screed, as has been reported by most critics. Not a very good writer. It is not a documentary which seeks to present the facts truthfully. The most significant offense that movie commits is to cheapen the political debate by de- dehumanizing the president and presenting him as a cartoon. <laughs> These two quote-unquote-unquote-unquote-unquote-unquote liberals then kind of went on a media campaign against the film because they felt so strongly that the Islamic State needed to be stopped by American forces. The Hitchens... Koch Alliance actually forced Moore to make a separate space on his website, proving the stuff that he addressed in the film is all factual. He provided all of his notes and research and resources there for anyone to see. Uh, Yeah, this is an interesting thing about reactionary politics is that, you know... You guys are mad about the supposed lack of facts yeah. when, like, well, okay, well, what are your facts? Right. What is... And they had none. <laughs> yeah, no, they both just hate people who are Muslim. <laughs> you just... Yeah, you just... <laughs> your facts they are that... The, I don't like what they're doing over there. It's crazy. Yeah, it's Like, ridiculous. they had zero facts. They are just like, this is a religious state and needs to go. Mm-hmm. And it's specifically, it's a religion that is all brown people. That needs to go. And can I also talk about the idea of dehumanizing George W. Bush? Like, yeah, he needs to be dehumanized. Yeah, we didn't do that enough. He's, yeah, and we still don't do it enough. Actually, we humanize him too much yes. now. Yes. <laughs> 
He's a, like, an he ogre. Has a, he's had a redemption arc. Yeah, because they don't like how Trump is a bad guy. Oh, God. George W. Bush was so much more dangerous than Trump, and, like, people don't even... I mean, we've said it on this, on these episodes already, yeah. but people don't even think about that. I just want to remind everybody I'm not defending this film. I just I think it's very flawed. I've said that. I think mm-hmm. it's very flawed. But I don't think that Moore's claims about the Bush family finances and everything else in regards to that are unfounded. He was right. And we know that he was right because it's been proven over and over again. And I think it's important for me to say both of these things. The film kind of sucks, but he was right. With that being said, I think the thing that surprised me the most about my research is, as I said earlier, the response was pretty lukewarm overall. Sure, he received that standing ovation at Con, but in all of the positive reviews I've read of the film, not a single one of them was like, you know what, the American wars in Iraq and Afghanistan are bad, and Moore is right about that, even if some of the things happening in this film are a little questionable. Mm-hmm. Mostly, they just talked about his passion and his ability to lead us through this information. That's so interesting. They didn't say, Moore is correct. They didn't say any of that. Not a single one. And that's the thing that really, really gets me. That's the thing that's been bothering me about this since I started doing the research. The resistance in the people in the media to just fucking say how it is. Because mm-hmm. none of them did. Only no Donald one. Trump tells it like Only it is. Only Donald Trump tells it how it is. <laughs> that's why we love him, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very... We've talked about this before. Yes. The inability of art to actually produce the change that we really yes. wish that it could. Yes. Like, that is the idealistic liberal and in all of us is that oh well this documentary is going to change things right nobody got sent home after fahrenheit 9-11 they brought more troops there yeah the worst years were like 2005 2006 Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean you're right it didn't change anything anything. and none of the critics like stood up for him yeah even if they believed that they even if they believed that he was right they didn't really say it there is that American conspiracy-obsessed way in which we can watch a thing that is, even if it's well-argued and it seems to be very real, we'll watch it with the same entertainment value as right. watching a Bigfoot that's documentary. That's exactly what they did. Be like, wow, that's right. wild, isn't it? Wow, yeah. that's pretty interesting. And then you'll go off and you'll do something else. And that's exactly what they did. It was I'm, just like watching any other movie to them. Yeah. And it's like, no, this is not any other movie. <laughs> it's a, Real thing. Thousands of people are fucking dying. Yeah. You know? And it kind of makes me... I didn't do this research just because I didn't have time this week, but it just makes me wonder how other documentaries that are saying something that's, like, very, very real and important. I'm not talking about documentaries that are about, like, an artist's life or something like that. Th- those That is real and important. But I'm saying, like, you know, doc- documentaries about how there's, like, tons of sexual assault in the military or documentaries that are about... Um, climate change. Climate change. Or like what happened. Yeah, that kind of shit. Like yeah. what is, I want to go back and like read reviews of those things of some of the ones that like I, I think are good because I just wonder how can you approach this like very important information that you're receiving as just another facet of like this is entertainment and mm-hmm. that's it, you know? Like none, I'm telling you, not one of them were like, yes, this is, this is what we need right now. We mm-hmm. need somebody saying this because this war is not right. It was just like, yeah, he's a great storyteller and he's very funny. Yeah. 
And man, he walks a lot. <laughs> Which like was noted in one of the night. He does lot. walk a lot. It's true. He really wears Mario, that jacket. Mario more like loves to walk. <laughs> but it's just like none of, them, none of them hit on the content that much. So wild. Which I think it was a protective stance because of what I'm going to say in a second. But I think it was a protective stance. You yeah. Know? So this leads us to the last part of this, which was what we always do in these episodes. Why is this relevant today? I have to admit, after rewatching it, doing the research, I actually don't think the film is a very useful resource mm-hmm. for understanding the American wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. So I'm not sure if the film itself is very relevant. I think people should watch it just to see what the understanding was at the time and maybe to see some very early criticism of the wars. But it just doesn't, it doesn't have any power, right? What I think is relevant about examining this is just what I was just talking about, the media's unwillingness to go in on shit that is happening around us. And I say this as a member of the media myself, like, shouldn't we be more fearless than that? When movies address the circumstances of our reality, isn't our, our responsibility as critics to address those things in a way too? I feel like it is, mm-hmm. but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know like what yeah. editorial processes these like reviews went That's to. That's true like, too. I mean, we all know that the New York Times, like Washington Post, famously all of these liberal publications yeah, they're were not that, very, they're very conservative, and very they still are. pro-war. Yeah. Like, absolutely a yeah, stain. They were, he was right about them being just propaganda machines. They really they were. were. Yeah. Everything was pro-war. We were... The invasion of Afghanistan was like broadcast on all the major yes. networks. Like we were watching Sunday football. Yeah, and Disney, the Disney Channel was pro-war. It played those little clips that said, you know, rah rah America. Yeah. After September 11th, we were all really sad. Now we're all unified. Yeah, know? now we're all unified around uh, murdering a <laughs> bunch of kids. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy the but, show. Yeah, it was this like big propaganda machine. So yes, you're right in a sense. Like I don't know what the editorializing was like. Yeah. And it might also but, have been what were we consuming media differently? Was it maybe, only yeah. certain publications that we really could turn to for that's, actual criticism? That's possible as well, you know, yeah. you're not you don't have as many publications as you have right now. I I just don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I feel like I like I said I feel like it's my responsibility. Mm-hmm. to address those issues too. And in the criticism that I have done of any entertainment media, books, films, whatever, I have addressed those issues, you know, the co- the actual content of the thing. Yeah. So, I don't know. I just it's very it's very strange like to go back and read those reviews and that's why I'm saying that's why I think is relevant about it is that it just like is a signifier, it's a good example of like this of like why we need to have this conversation, but also like what it was like to live through that time. We've talked about it a little bit here, but I think people just didn't want to be like, no, this is bad because they were afraid that others would respond by saying that they're un-American and that they would just accuse them of sympathizing with the supposed bad guy and make it seem like the war is the only irrational response to the attack on 9-11 and the threat of weapons of mass destruction. Like, I think that that's part of it. Yeah. Because everybody was afraid of that. Mm-hmm. And so they just didn't do anything. And this is going to sound ridiculous. But remember, <laughs> get yourself in the mindset of a 2004 person mm-hmm. who was like war skeptical. The search for weapons of mass destruction. 
made people tiptoe around it because they were yes. like, hey, we still haven't found them yet. Right. And there was this idea that once these things, which were not real and never were real, uh, were found, right. that would be the finger pointing moment for all of the flag wavers. Right. That they could say, oh, well, look at this. Now this justifies the thousands of people that have been murdered so far, right? And then you'd have to be like, yeah, you're right. I guess it does, yeah. even though it wouldn't. And so in 2004, even if you were against the war, you had to be careful for so many reasons. Like, well, what if I get proven wrong? Yes. I don't want to be on the wrong yeah, side of history. Yeah, that's too. Yeah, that's another thing. I mean, I wasn't, I don't know. I'm sure you weren't really thinking about this. I wasn't really thinking about this. This is more of like an adult stance of like, I can't say no. Mm-hmm. Because if I say no, then I look, yeah, exactly. Like you don't want to look like an idiot. I'm an idiot. Yeah. You know? And I think also as the as the wars progressed, the hope to find weapons of mass destruction so that it would justify all of the death, that kind of like supplanted, you know, any thought in their head that like this is not something we should be doing. Because yeah. they were just hoping they would find it so yeah. that their original stance was correct. Looking you know? for those weapons. Yeah, we're just looking for those weapons. Bunch of gumshoes out there just on and, the case. And every conversation was all about and the you know the reviews as i pointed out the reviews not being critical of the war or critical of people who are critical of michael moore's documentary that is all part of this like 2004 and we still have it there's remnants of it now for sure and it kind of came back recently but that 2004 push for everything to be like about civility and civil discourse, Michael Moore is an asshole because his movie is, like, fucking mean. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, like, that's why it sucks. He didn't sit down and break bread with George yeah, W. Bush. Yeah, he wasn't Bush. like, George W. Bush, let me interview you. Although maybe he probably asked. He I'm probably sure he did asked. reach out to yeah. talk to him, I'm sure. But, yeah, he didn't, like, sit down and, like, get a both... He didn't both sides it. Mm-hmm. And so people were pissed that he didn't both sides it. Yeah. And it, so in these reviews they kind of had to both sides it in a sense where they didn't really like talk about it you know yeah and that was that feels very 2004 to me and that also feels relevant right now because we're getting into a situation right now just in general in the media where it's the same shit it's always about both sizing shit it's like we were just we were making jokes about christopher hitchens being involved in like the trans conversation every trans conversation is well trans people should have the right to seek medical transition and whatever but what about all these people who sought medical transition now their lives are miserable Mm -hmm. you know like why do we we don't you don't need to do that at all you don't need to say you can just say nothing actually Mm -hmm. and it'll be fine Mm -hmm. but this like both sizing is coming back in such a really horrible and horrifying way that i i think that that's what makes Examining this relevant right now. Yeah, because what they want to do is lend credence to what they actually right. believe. Right. Right. Like that, they they want to show that there's like a little doubt. Mm-hmm. But like your little doubt is gonna get people fucking killed, oh, which yeah. is what exactly what it did. Yeah. Then and now, you know. And you're also like you're not you're not fighting for the little guy. No. When you're endorsing like George W. Bush's <laughs> side. Like, the thing that we should all be upset by and mad about and, like, want to, like, destroy is the idea that a handful of dudes can create a catastrophic situation. Yes. That's literally that what it was. That would make them richer. Yes. Specifically to enrich themselves. That's it. And to 
help their political careers. And we should still be mad about it. We should still be mad about it. We should be mad about it when we see it now with fucking Ron DeSantis. With any of these people that are enriching themselves and their potential political careers by destroying other people's lives. And that's what makes this, I think, that's what makes this important to talk about. Yeah. Because it's coming, it's back, baby. (laughs) We're back. We're back, baby. I mean, it never left. It never never left. But it's like back in a big way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It just feels like the same shit. Here it we are again. Is. Here we are again, but we have smartphones <laughs> anyway, this time. <laughs> anyway, let's end on that sad note. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Yeah, we got a great <laughs> month uh, coming up of similar awesome conversations about <laughs> media, about the war on terror and the Iraq war. A lot of movies and mm-hmm. documentaries to watch and talk about. So please consider becoming a patron. Yes, please do that. We'll have some you know Patreon extras that are... Kind of created in conjunction to these things. Yeah, but today's actually just a little treat. Today's is a little treat. <laughs> <laughs> so join our Patreon if you want to hear that one. All right, you freaks. Thanks for listening. <laughs>